0: Favorite things to discuss on the show are documentaries, or I should say, wait a second, let me start that over. <laughs> that was incorrect grammar. One of our favorite things to discuss on this show is documentaries as a whole. And I recently saw this new series that was coming out on HBO called Generation Hustle, which really appealed to me for two reasons, three perhaps, actually. So, one, I love documentaries too. Typically, when a documentary is on HBO, it's going to be really good. And three, just that name, Generation Hustle, caught my attention because another topic that we frequently cover on this show is hustle culture. Now, I initially was hoping and expected this show to be more about hustle culture in in the way that I define it, which is about Typically, young entrepreneurs, content creators, influencers using hustle and productivity as a bragging right and, and something that they believe leads to success. And it's something that Jason and I have addressed a lot on the show because hustle culture has negatively impacted our mental health. We got very sucked into it. We're trying to disconnect from it. We're trying to break our addiction to efficiency. And It's not something that we generally like to be part of, but it's a lot of unraveling because for many, many years, we were conditioned through the whole influencer world and entrepreneurship world to hustle because if you don't, then you're not going to be successful. And that's something I'm, I'm constantly examining. But the show Generation Hustle on HBO isn't quite that. It's actually... I'll read their description on their website... The cunning exploits of 10 overzealous entrepreneurs who each went to extraordinary lengths to secure fame, fortune, or power are on display in this shocking anthology documentary series. I wouldn't quite say it's shocking, to be honest. So far, I think I've watched four of the 10 episodes, maybe five. They're all really good. So it did meet my expectations for an HBO series. And by the way, The shows do have a twist, and some of the episodes are stories you may have heard in the news. They might already be familiar with some of the people that they feature and the outcomes. Some of them you may never have heard of before. Jason and I are not going to give away spoilers today, so if you haven't watched the series, we think you'll be safe. (laughs) But there's always a chance we're going to touch on something that might feel like a spoiler. Uh, I just personally feel like it's not super shocking. And a lot of the episodes feel very similar. There's kind of like a formula they follow, which is also kind of interesting because there's this tie-in of how these people have gone, as as the description said, to extraordinary lengths to feel like they're famous, become more wealthier, to or at least feel like they're wealthier. That's part of the story too, is things aren't always what they seem. And there does seem to be a big drive to feel powerful. And the reason that I'm very drawn to these stories is it makes me reflect a lot in this culture that we have and a lot of societal pressure to become more powerful through fame and fortune and how a lot of people will go to extreme lengths. And as I've been watching each episode, they've reminded me of even small scale experiences I've had over the years. Now, Jason has watched the first two episodes in order. I have watched the first episode and then I think episode four, six and seven. I don't know. I can't keep track, but I'll I'll look over it in a moment. So I've gone out of order. And that's one thing to know if you haven't started watching it yet. It's not linear. Each episode is its own contained story. So you can skip around and you can read the descriptions. That's basically I did. I was a little eager to jump forward to some of the subject matter. So before I share some more of my thoughts on this, Jason, I would love to know how you've been feeling because you literally just finished episode two before we started recording. And so you're fresh in your reflections on this. And and do keep in mind for me and the listener that I have not watched Episode two, so I certainly don't want any spoilers. Uh, but maybe you can summarize what the first two episodes were about before they got to the shocking part and any reveals. And then, how did you feel about it?
1: I'm gonna try and I'm gonna try and keep it spoiler free in the sense that I don't want to talk about the outcomes, but I, I can set up the general frameworks of the first two that I've watched. And you know, the, the first one is essentially, to me, I think about a. A imposter scheme that a person was running where they were impersonating very high level celebrity people, slash investors, slash movie producers. And this one individual was luring in, you know, photographers and I guess influencers, we'll call them. One guy was on the cover of Men's Health magazine. He was like an extreme athlete. And to me, that episode, Whitney, was sort of this highlighting of. How deeply people desire the big break. The thing that I left with was not so much the predatory, sociopathic behavior of the antagonist of this, the person who was Im- impersonating these movie producers and these high level people again. Really, really, fa- and, and actually, kind of as diabolical as it was, it was kind of genius the level of detail this person went through like diabolically genius and predatory sociopathic behavior. The two things I was left with with the first episode was one, this is nothing new. I mean, we've all gotten those emails from like a prince from Ghana saying, you know, my father left $500 million in his will and you you were one of the beneficiaries. I'm like, I only know five people from Ghana and I don't think any of them left me money. Personally, I could be wrong, but the Ishangi family in Ghana that I know probably. So we we know that this kind of, semi-elaborate predatory behavior has been going on since the dawn of time. I mean, you know, you can look in ancient religious texts and sort of the snake oil salesman paradigm Whitney of people saying, you know, drink this drink and it'll cure all your ills. I mean, the hustle in generation hustle I think is more like the the way that humans take advantage of each other in this context. So, the first episode le- left me in summary with two impressions. One, what happens and it doesn't even get anywhere into this in a person's life that shapes their personality and their mentality to go to such extreme levels to manipulate, lie, and essentially con people out of their money? Like, What happens to a human being in the course of their development that would lead them to devise that kind of elaborate behavior as as a predator. I mean, I'll call it, a, it, it really is predation on people. And, it, and the second thing that it leads into is it is preying on people's hopes and dreams where you have artists who are believing in the myth of the, the big break oh, so-and-so movie producer or or so-and-so film production studio or this investor sent me this email. Oh, my God, this is my chance. This is what I've been starving for. This is what I moved to Hollywood and have been living in my studio that I can barely afford. I mean, the, the, the theme with most of the people that were profiled that were taken advantage of had that similar thing where you could feel how hungry they were, Whitney, for that, quote, big break. And- you know, in leaving my impression from that episode was like, I know, I know what that's like. I remember thinking, for instance, and you know this because, you know, you were there when all this was unfolding, when I had my TV series on Cooking Channel. You know, it was this idea that that's, that's it. Like, I've got my TV series. I'm going to be the next celebrity chef. This was my big break, but it wasn't. And the myth, the promise of the big break— is what drives people to do all kinds of desperate behaviors. They literally spend thousands of dollars for this opportunity to break into the mainstream and be known and be famous and have my art be seen. And so I leave this by reflecting on my own life path and career path of how many, quote, big breaks I thought I was going to have. Oh, I'm going to be on the Steve Harvey show. Holy shit. So many people are going to know me. Oh my God. You know, I'm I'm starring the BuzzFeed video or like here, if you're watching on YouTube, You know, I'm on the cover of Leica with you, Whitney, like our magazine cover. You and I were on the cover of a national magazine, right? Like all these, like all these quote big breaks. It doesn't mean that these aren't significant. Doesn't mean we don't celebrate our wins in life. But the mythology of the big break leads us to very desperate and dangerous behavior sometimes because we as humans, many of us want to be famous and powerful and rich and known so fucking badly. So that that was the initial impression I came away with from the first episode. I'm curious how how does that resonate, and did you feel kind of the same way, or what were your impressions with?
0: Absolutely, I think one of the phrases they used in that episode was "social engineering scams tailored to individuals," and there's a lot of messaging in throughout the series about working harder i think it's actually in their credit intro they have that phrase work harder and there is this idea for many of us especially in the entertainment industries that it's all about the lucky break and oh my gosh like it it actually makes me deeply uncomfortable when I think about how many times somebody has hung that lucky break message in front of me, especially when I was younger or newer to the film industry when I was working there and also starting off as a content creator. The amount of people that just kind of have that messaging of like, together, we're going to do something great. And then, you know, Jason, there's one person in particular who I don't even have to name, that you and I partnered with a few years ago, who I remember the first time we met this person thinking like, this is it. This person's going to help us. It was very much about like our podcast. It was when our podcast was getting started and our speaking careers. And it was like, you know, it tapped into our desires to be highly paid public speakers and taken very seriously and thought experts and all these terminology, it's like in this person that we met at the time was working with some really well-known leaders in the business space. And it was just like, wow. And he talked such a big game and made some promises. I, I kind of hesitate to use the word promises because it certainly wasn't guaranteed, But it was in that energy of like, work with me and you're going to get X, Y, Z. And we ended up doing a lot of things for free, a lot of favors, a lot of partnerships with this person because of that, quote, promise. And nothing really came of it. Although I will say the podcast as it is today was shaped in part by this person And this person introduced us to some incredible people. So it's like, certainly, I shouldn't say nothing came of it. But those seem to be like secondary related things. They weren't quite what was being held or dangled in front of us. And I don't think that this person was doing it in a malicious way. I hope not. I don't think that they were like intentionally thinking, ooh, I'm going to get Whitney and Jason to do these things for me. And I'm just going to tell them that they're going to get this result that I'm never going to give them. I think they genuinely believed in us and they genuinely saw our, quote, potential, which is another one of those words. And they, you know, like they're, it's not necessarily even. And that's something to examine when you're watching this series. Like, are these people... Bad people are these people evil? Are they you know are they are they purposely are they even aware of what their impact is on others? Are they out to destroy people's lives? No, in fact, one of the episodes that you haven't watched yet, Jason, it's episode five, is about it's called the Cult of WeWork, and that I think was the second episode I watched because I was like, ooh, this is going to be interesting, <laughs> you know. And the episode is so much about the The guy behind it, one of the co-founders and how he tapped into the cult of a founder because a lot of people are looking for a leader. They look up to people that seem to be superhuman We're often very drawn to people that are building empires and inviting us to build empires together. We want to be part of a community. We want to be part of a change. We want to make the world a better place. These were all the messages that the founder or co-founder of WeWork was putting out there. And, you know, I remember being really into WeWork as well and feeling drawn to it. Also similar, which I think we talked about on the show, the female co-working space that I'm blanking on at the moment What was that place called? It was a similar story where that co working place, which I'm completely blanking on the name of it, was very much about tapping into a woman, young woman's desire to be a girl boss, and also very much about hustle culture and about like being part of something and feeling like connected to one another and supported by one another but also empowered as a woman and so for someone like me that really drew me in. And my point being is that we can get very drawn to these people who kind of position themselves as like if you work with me, if you join me, you're going to get this and we're going to do it together. That's such a big tantalizing thing for us as people whether we're entrepreneurs and or in the entertainment world creative types it, it's so desirable because there doesn't seem to be a simple path and we often feel like if we can just find one person or one opportunity your point Jason, then that's gonna be the big break and help us take a shortcut or bust through a wall or a glass ceiling or or you know, whatever it is, like find a a quicker path to our goals. And so when those people come into our lives, I think sometimes we have our blinders on, we have our rose colored glasses on in a way where we're not really seeing the full picture because we're so drawn to the fact that this person might finally give us the thing that we've always wanted.
1: Yeah, it's what you're talking about this Pseudo tribalistic mentality of you're struggling, you have dreams, I have similar dreams. Come join my tribe. Come join my circle. Come join the community. You know th- this is a this is really kind of a played out trope in the life coaching space. You know, and and I, I I see this phrased in with a lot of female entrepreneurs like join the goddess circle. I see that over and over and over again. Unlock your sexuality, unlock your sensuality. Your sexuality is tied to your ability to make money. So get into your sexual body so you can make more money. I mean, there's a million versions of this. Guys, too, you know, I see like men's circle, you know, you're not living your edge. Men, you're not living to your edge. Your woman's not pleased. You're not showing up for your children. You're not just here to make money and be an automaton, like connect to your primal masculinity. But you need to pay me $15,000 to do it. I'm going to throw people under the fucking bus right now. I don't give a shit because you know what? Here's the thing. What we're doing is we're taking things that have existed in human, small communities for millennia. Initiation ceremonies with men and women are nothing new. But since we are all so divided in our culture right now, since we're all so separate, since we all feel such a deep sense of isolation and loneliness, marketers and coaches, et cetera, have found a way to weaponize our loneliness weaponize our sense of separation from people to be in a tribe community circle secret group whatever the fuck they call it but instead of doing it because it's a normal part of your day-to-day existence as it was not long ago in human society now in order to be part of the secret group you need to pay them a lot of money am i knocking people's hustle i guess maybe i am because i think that on the one hand do i think some of these people have an intent to help whitney i do do I think that sometimes they're taking advantage of people unknowingly through their marketing and their manipulative messages? I do. So I, I want I want to touch on the point you made of, do we think that the people that are profiled in Generation Hustle are evil? Are they, quote, bad people? This is a tough thing to answer, right? Because I think it's a case-by-case basis. I think sometimes, like in the case of episode two that you haven't watched yet, it profiled an extremely young um, concert promoter in Connecticut who was trying to scale his business by having massive artists come through, you know, and he gets caught up in this thing where he's losing so much money that he ends up borrowing from money from other people to pay back the original. It's essentially a Ponzi scheme. He didn't even, I don't believe he knew what he was doing in this case. I don't believe that as an 18 year old kid, he knew the severity of the impact of what he was doing. I think in this case is you know he was so desperate for attention and popularity as a young man that that clouded his judgment as to what the impact of his actions were. I think that's very different than someone who is intentionally engaging in predatory activities that they know are taking advantage of people and they do not care now again i don't live in anyone's head, but i think I, I think this is a case by case thing where someone can be so blinded by their desperate desire, as you said, for money, fame, popularity, success. They don't give a shit what the impacts are, which you could say is sociopathic. But I think there is a difference between that and someone going into a venture saying, fuck everyone. I don't care if I destroy everyone in the process. I think there's ignorance and there's willful maliciousness. I think the difference, now the impact is the same, right? People lose money, they get taken advantage of, but willful ignorance and intentional maliciousness are are, are different. We can say they're different things. So I guess my issue with this is as you and I, Whitney, kind of traverse our own entrepreneurial journey as podcast hosts, coaches, creators, authors, the things we do, I'm proud that we are being more mindful of the language we're using. Like at this, right now, we're actually going through and looking at a lot of the copy and the marketing messaging on our website. And it's important. We're not just doing it so we can, quote, enroll more fucking people. We're doing it because we want to make sure that the words and the messaging we're using are not predatory and not overselling something we don't deliver. And I want to say this, You know, watching this documentary reminded me of not only the experiences you and I have had offering coaching programs, but engaging in different programs in in the business world. And it reminds me of so many stories of friends and acquaintances you and I have that have enrolled in in really expensive five-figure programs with different coaches, were promised something very specific, didn't get that thing, asked for a refund, and then were told, we're not going to give you a refund. Now, you could default and say, oh, well, it's in the contract. You should have read your contract. It says no refunds under any circumstances. But then if you think about it from a perspective of a student or a business person or a consumer, if you promise me something and you don't deliver it, and then you say, well, it doesn't matter we didn't deliver it because in the contract it says no refunds, that sounds unethical to me. And there's a lot of people doing this. It's pretty common practice, actually, in the coaching industry that there is a no refund policy. Even if you don't deliver as a coach or instructor, what you said you would do, you go, "Eh? well, the contract you signed says no refunds. Sorry, I don't find that ethical. And it's common practice. So again, does this go down to a person's being intentionally malicious or have they just patterned themselves after what they were taught of, well, that's just how you go. That's how you run your business. Don't let consumers or students take advantage of you because then you'll have people asking for refunds all the time. It's almost like a fear-based way of conducting your business. But if you don't deliver what you said you delivered, and then you refuse a refund, I don't think that that's good. I don't believe in that practice. And it happens a lot.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it it does tap into people's ethics in some ways. And also, it shows this maybe this person isn't fully confident. And so, instead of trying to fix something, they would rather... Not give the person what they wanted, and that's the thing too, speaking of evolving you know as as you and I, Jason, are working on the newer version of our program, the Consistency Code, I see a lot of opportunities to improve it, and I actually went through the numbers uh, of all the students that are enrolled and how many people never even started it, and I started to wonder, what is it that cause them to not even press play on the first training, you know? And I, there, I think there's two things at play. One is maybe you and I didn't, maybe there is room for opportunity for us to improve our messaging in terms of what somebody is getting. There are opportunities for us to better understand our students and what they want and need and what they're expecting. And I don't think that happens enough. I think a lot of coaches or or business owners are just so focused on what they think people want that they tr- almost try to force it on them or or gaslight. We've talked about gaslighting too, like you convincing somebody that what they want is not the right thing. And I actually have the answers. I have the solution. Well, the whole reason you're hiring me is because you're not doing well with this thing. So obviously you don't have the answers. Which I also think is a bit of bullshit because the one of the big points of the consistency code and and the reason why I feel so proud of it is that the message is that we're not there to teach our students anything new. We're there to hold them accountable. And I feel incredibly passionate about that because that's a huge struggle. And I think that a lot of people are just out there trying to solve problems with new information versus taking what they already know and what they know deep down and applying it and being focused. We are such a distracted society as a whole. And I think that's to my other earlier point, that's how a lot of people get manipulated is is that people are just so busy looking for opportunities instead of focusing on what they already have in front of them. And There is this natural human tendency, as we've touched upon in some episodes, to go for whatever is easy, the lowest common denominator. So the people that are preying on others typically do that. You know, email scams. I'm sure there are people that fall for those email scams that you mentioned earlier, Jason. Otherwise, who would continue doing them? But clearly, they're working Same thing with scam phone calls. Scam text messages are becoming a thing now. Like There are so many ways to trick people into giving your bank account information. I mean, I just got one earlier today that was so convincing. And I actually looked up to make sure that it wasn't a real thing. And people become very savvy with that. And all it takes is a few people to click on the wrong button to believe something. So that lowest common denominator is there. But then as as the consumer, let's say as the person that might be the the victim of something like this, you also can't fully blame yourself because as a human being, we have a tendency to look for things that are easy and quick. We want, as discussed in that book, the pleasure trap. Like We go for the fast food for a reason because it's inexpensive. We don't have to work very hard to earn the money to purchase the food. It tastes really good because it's preying on our, our sensory experiences. So we get that instant pleasure from it. And it gives us fat and salt and sugar and some of the basic things that we need for fuel. And so we get a quick bang for our buck and then we're on and we get caught up in that addiction cycle. And I think a lot of people are in that place With their careers, for example, or even their personal desires. Like the lottery is another example. Like, why do people play the lottery? Because it and and play slot machines or gamble. It's like, wow, what if I put in a dollar and made 500 or thousands or millions? Like, that's very little effort to get a huge amount back. And I think human beings just are constantly scanning for opportunities. And other human beings are very good at, know- at understanding that psychology and tapping into it. It also reminds me of another documentary I watched. And I don't know if I mentioned this on the podcast. It's also an HBO production. It's called Murder on Middle Beach. And it was a few episodes long, I believe. I don't think it was just one episode. It might have been like four Episodes, but it was like a one linear documentary. And Jason, I had a really intense moment because I realized that what was happening in the documentary, I was basically involved with without ever realizing it. Because one of the big elements of that story is something called the gifting table, which is a MLM, a multi level marketing scheme. And this story all happened. And it's related to the murder. The story all happened in Connecticut, I think on the border of New York that, yeah, like uh, uh, New York state. And one of my very close friends had a friend in Connecticut or family in Connecticut. And I grew up in Massachusetts, long story short, this friend I think was connected to the same gifting table as the documentary featured because basically it started to spread this MLM started I think in Connecticut and expanded to New York and Massachusetts and some of the other states around there and my friend in Massachusetts got involved with this gifting table MLM and tried to enroll me and I got very close to being part of it because A it was my best friend and B it was that promise of if you just put in, I think it was like five thousand dollars. If you put in five thousand dollars, you can grow your money and get a minimum twenty five because that's how it worked. It was, I think, also like a Ponzi scheme type of structure where you put in money, you were at like. Part of this group of people, and then it would split off, and then you would become in the center, and other people would give you money, and then it would just continue to grow theoretically. And my friend was and may even still be involved with it. I don't know if it's still going on, but she was involved for many, many years and tried multiple times to get me involved. And it was so tempting because they were masters at figuring out how to get you to do it, they were masters at figuring out the exact language. And also how to skirt around any of the legality side of it so that it was technically legal, I think, or it was like just vague enough where they could get away with it. And they would keep it very secret and they would use certain words to like basically be completely undercover with this. And it was all based around women's empowerment too. It was about like like you were saying, Jason, what triggered me to think of this is that you're talking about like these the circles, right? Of people that would like get together to empower each other, but you'd have to pay to be involved and like, no, we're all going to support one another. And they would prey on your desire to be part of a community, to be part of a change, to be empowered and to make money and just the right, just the simple tweaks and language. And then they would find people you knew. So it would all be like a close friend or a family member who was inviting you in, who you already trust. So they're using trust as a way to basically deceive or convince you into something that wasn't truly legal. And just like a Ponzi scheme, it's destined for failure over time. And when I saw that documentary murder on middle beach, I, I felt in complete shock and disbelief, because that was the first time I realized what I had almost been part of. So, as you were saying, Jason, s- watching these stories, you know, thinking of the amount of times that I considered j- going to WeWork, for example, that I was impacted by WeWork's messaging and that like incredible draw that they had. And all m- I have so many friends that were part of WeWork. Not to say that WeWork in itself is bad. But how they were treating their employees and how they were deceiving their members and the public about what was really going on with that company financially, that I don't feel good about. So I wouldn't want to support a business like that.
1: So I have so many thoughts. First of all, I'm very curious, Whitney, if you can think back to the conversation that you were having with your friend about. Uh, The enrollment into this women's circle that you're describing, which is so interesting, because I remember about I don't even know five ish, maybe six ish years ago, I remember friends of mine, female friends of mine, talking about this, like it was spreading like wildfire amongst so many so many women that I knew. So, first of all, I'm curious, why didn't you? Was it you were listening to your intuition? Was there something that smelled, quote, fishy to you? I, You know, I'm always curious because I've been on the end of some really hardcore enrollment calls, like people, emotional manipulation, all the things you're talking about, you know, weaponizing trust, the promise of community and connection, everything we're talking about. So what was it that made you say no? Why did you say no when you were so close to saying yes? First
0: of all, it was a lot of money. It was five thousand dollars, and I don't know if I had. I mean, five thousand dollars is a lot of money to me. I don't know if there's ever a point in my life where I just happen to have an extra five grand laying around. You know what I mean? But what they would do, and they talk about this in Murder, murder on, on or Murder, Murder on Middle Beach is the name of it. They would psychologically convince you to find ways to get that money. Like, oh, well, is there a family member you could borrow the money from? It's, you know, you're going to make so much from this. You'll easily be able to pay them back. Can you put it on a credit card? Like, blah, blah, blah. They'd get your mind rolling and you would you would just be like, oh, I guess this is possible. So A, I think it was the money was the probably the main factor for me. But two, it was very confusing. And I think that's where like the red flag was. I didn't understand it. I mean, it blew my mind when I watched that documentary because I went back and found some of those exchanges with me and my friend, and it was verbatim, the language that they use. So if you're curious about this, watch that show, too. If you're listening to this episode because you're into HBO documentaries or documentaries in general, when you're done watching Generation Hustle, watch Murder on Middle Beach – because it's just like, wow, the things that they would do and say to get you to enroll in this. The reason that I brought this up is my friend, I don't think is a bad person, but certainly during that process, I felt like, hmm, this is a little weird. But after I saw the documentary, Jason, I thought, is my friend really who I think she is? Like it really impacted my trust of her. Like, I started to wonder, just like you're watching these shows, the one that I watched last night is episode four about Anna Delvey, who was really big in the news and just got out of jail recently. So you may have heard of her recently or a few years ago when all this was happening. But a huge part of that episode is how she manipulated her friends. Like, people just trusted her. And I think that's a big theme. I also saw this in episode 7 so it turns out i've watched 5 episodes episode 7 is about frats and a ponzi scheme actually and they interview all these people's friends and they're all like hey he was a really great guy hey she seems like a cool girl you know like people were kind of in disbelief that this person they thought they knew and they thought was a friend was actually doing these things to manipulate them and so it is a bit of a fine line Because while I'm still friends with this person who tried to get me involved with this gifting circle, it does make you wonder, am I just somebody that you're looking to prey on? Do I seem like somebody that you can manipulate through our friendship? Are you using our friendship to reach your goals? Another thing I thought of when I was watching that Anna Delvey episode, Jason, is another one of our mutual friends who's done some shady things and actually not even a friend anymore, barely an acquaintance who I distanced myself from because of those gut feelings, because I thought, wait a second, I don't know if this person is everything that they're presenting themselves to be on social media. And noticing the behavior and the amount of shady things that this person was doing, from my opinion, I thought it's only a matter of time until something really bad happens. I got to distance myself from this person. And it was like that gut instinct that you're talking about, where it just didn't feel good. And I heard it enough stories and had enough personal experiences with this person to say, Nope, I'm not interested. And actually, and that's in that Anna Delvey episode, there's a care, there's a woman who had an experience with her who said like, there's some, there just wasn't, there was something not right. And I didn't want anything to do with them anymore. And I thought, wow, like I've been there too, but I haven't quite been on the receiving end. Like, I don't know what's going to happen with this person I'm referring to now. like, This person so far hasn't done anything crazy scammy as far as I know, but I wouldn't be surprised if one day I found out that they did. And I think it's important to listen to your gut instinct. And I think that it's possible, though, to distance yourself from people. You don't have to fully cut them out. You can set strong boundaries. And luckily, my friend was understanding when I said no to being part of that gifting circle. It wasn't like, hey, if you're not in the circle, I'm not going to be friends with you anymore. So I think it really depends. But you have to keep an eye out, unfortunately, once that happens to you. Kind of put your, you know, some flags up.
1: Two things that come up for me, Whitney, is how much like you, I have also chosen to distance myself from different people in our industry because nearly every single time I see them, there's a subtle or overt enrollment happening. See these people and they're like, Hey, I've got this opportunity. I want to talk to you about it. You know, I'll be I'll be walking out the door at their party. Like, hey, hey, no, no, can I just like get 10 minutes? I know you're on the, the way out. I just want to talk to you for like 10 minutes. So after like two or three times of this, I'm like, I know what's coming. I'm going to go to this gathering or go to their house or go to this event. And they're going to try and enroll me on this MLM that they're doing since we're on the subject of MLMs. And the reason that I've started to distance and have distanced myself from specific people in my life is because it started to feel transactional. The relationship started to feel transactional. That the only reason I or we, because you and I have been at a lot of these gatherings, Whitney, the only reason that I or you and I were being invited to these things I was feeling was because, oh, well, you know, Whitney and Jason have these followings and they're doing cool things and they have influence and whatever, however people perceive us. Okay. So I need to enroll them because of their reach, because of their social numbers, because of their YouTube channel, whatever. And I just don't want to be looked at as a dollar sign or a potential dollar sign, you know, is like, oh, you didn't invite me to this party because you want me here just to be together, to sing, to dance, to make music, to have food. You're here. And then at the very end, try and kind of corner me literally and figuratively because you, you've given me this great experience tonight, so I owe you 10 minutes of my time to allow you to try and pitch me on this thing? No, I don't owe you shit. You invited me here, I thought, as a friend, and now you're trying to enroll me in this thing I don't fucking care about. You know, and it happens way too much. And the other thing that that brought up to me, Whitney, is when you were talking about the scripts, there absolutely are these scripts and frameworks being passed around and I'm not about to say that every salesperson or everyone who exists in sales is a bad bad person. Not saying that at all. I do, however, think that there are practices and scripts and ways of being that are passed around between people that are very damaging and that leverage comparison and shame to get people to act. And I'll give you an example. I have been to seminars where... They'd, they'd go through the whole seminar and the training, right? Because the basic framework, and maybe the listener, or the watcher can relate to this if you've been to like free seminars from coaches or or wealth experts or entrepreneur coaches, whatever the fuck it is, that they'll bring you there for free or a low cost. Like the first you know training will either be free or it'll be something accessible like, you know, 99 bucks. Like most people I know, like, yeah, I'll go to, sure. I'll go to a weekend training for a hundred bucks. Sure. They get you there. They give you all of this training and this framework, and then they upsell you. And the upsell is if you really enjoyed what you did, you know, here's my six-month mastermind training course for however much money it is. To me, upselling when you've given people really good value, there's nothing wrong with that. If people really dig you and really found that you delivered on your promises and you really show up, I'm not there are there are coaches and teachers that I really do believe show up with the intention to give people a ton of love, a ton of value, a ton of wisdom. And the attitude that I resonate with is like, yeah, if you dig this and you dig me and you want to go further, here's a three-month thing, a six-month thing, a 12-month thing. No pressure, right? But that's the exception, not the rule. The rule that I've seen over and over again, Whitney, there's one specific thing that came to mind when you were talking was a few years back, I got invited by a former colleague from culinary school who was, was doing this thing. And her and I are still on great terms. But the coach who was organizing this training, and there were hundreds of people in this low cost training, there was one woman who was on stage saying like, yeah, I just, I don't, I I really like this, but I don't think I can afford it because her premium, whatever thing was, I don't know, 15, 20, 30 grand, something like that. And the coach, the leader of this organization was like, are you willing to do whatever it takes? She's like, yeah, I totally, I totally am. She's like, can you borrow the money? Can you ask your parents for it? Can you ask your best friend for it? She's like, no, I can't because my mom's in debt and my, and my parents, you know, no, I can't do it. You know, my dad's sick, blah, blah, blah. She's like, can you sell your car? She's like, oh, the woman on stage is like, I, but that's my only transportation. And then this woman goes into this thing of like, yeah, but you know, Marie sold her car and blah, 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 sold the money. And Angie did this. Why aren't you? You said you were, you said you were willing to do whatever it takes. Sell your car. So then they don't get what they want because you're in resistance. So then it's comparison and shame because Angie sold her car. And look, now she's making 50K a month. So you need to trust and take the leap of faith and take a risk and believe in yourself. You've never believed in yourself before. I'm giving you a chance to finally believe in yourself and walk your talk. I'm here for you. You're safe. We love you. Like convincing people to take out loans, sell their cars, borrow money from their sick parents. Like this shit goes on all the time. This is the rule, not the exception. People being like, "Yeah, you want to enroll enroll with me or not? It's cool either way." That is not that's not the rule. That's the rare. That's the rarity. These these things of shaming people, comparing them trying to make them feel bad for, oh, well, I guess you don't really believe in your dream then if you're not willing to do anything for it. Like, this is some deep manipulation that is going on. And I'm sad to say that it's, I've seen it in different versions many, many times.
0: And the thread through here, going back to the documentary series, is that it's really impacting our trust of each other. You know, I take issue with somebody treating me like a dollar sign because they're not treating me like a human being first. I take issue with somebody who is using our friendship or using information they know about me, a vulnerability, for example, to manipulate me to get something for themselves because then that causes me to not only trust, not to trust them, not to trust other people, But it also leads to deep lack of self-trust. And it compacts that shame that you're talking about, Jason. It is so psychologically damaging. And although these types of people that are featured in the documentaries and some of the experiences that you and I have had, we might not consider them evil. They may or may not be aware of what they're doing and the deep impact of it. But I think it's part of a bigger issue that we have based in desperation because that's the other thing that you see here is that a lot of people are desperate and they aren't fully self-aware. They haven't worked on their self-development, perhaps. They might have been deeply traumatized themselves, and it's all coming out in a way that's causing more trauma to others. And that is really upsetting to me because for someone like me that struggles with trust in general, and trust is one of the big things that I've been working on, is painful to me when I'm in a situation and I think, well, here I am again. I shouldn't have trusted this person or I shouldn't have trusted myself. I was wrong or look where I ended up. And it's like, it compacts that. And then you think, well, I can't trust anybody and I can't trust myself. And that can lead to isolation and that can lead to deep depression and anxiety and all of these mental health challenges. And then even this documentary series can be disheartening. There's 10 episodes of like really intense deception that has gone on. And deep down inside, Jason, you and I are probably both watching this thinking, well, here's the evidence. How can you trust anybody? Happen to these people, it could happen to me. So part of me thinks, like, is it bad that we're even watching this? (laughs) You know, like, is this impacting you and me and maybe the listener who's watching or watching because of us? So I want to say that as like a warning that you really have to be self aware as you're taking in this information and how it's impacting you. And it can trigger a lot of experiences and it can cause you to look at life through this lens of, Shit, I always need to be on the lookout. I need to have my guard up. Because if my close friend tried to convince me to join this MLM or Ponzi scheme, who can I trust? I thought this is one person that I could trust more than others, you know? And I remember too, Jason, when you were... You joined an MLM at one point. And I actually... Never thought, I never deep down thought you were gonna turn into one quote one of those people. Like I didn't think you really, for lack of a better term, like had it in you to become that way. So I was never worried that you were gonna try to convince me to to buy the products and to enroll in it. Like maybe you tried once, but like I think you was a genuine belief at that time that, like, hey, look, like I've been promised all this money and you, you did believe in it. I was, I was concerned more that if you continued down that path, that other people would lose their trust in you. That was really like the deep hesitation that I had with you being part of that is, is, are people now going to look at Jason as an MLM person? You know, are you going to ruin their trust? Cause like, to, to be honest like when I hear of people in the MLms a red flag goes up I mean especially the essential oils world that makes me really sad because I think essential oils are amazing but so many people have a bad association with essential oils because of mlms so many people don't trust essential oils because essential you know some of these companies have misused the word pure and now some people are like well, Essential oils, I can't trust them, so I'm not going to buy them. Essential oils are bad; I'm not going to buy them. And then, and then they shit on other people for using essential oils, you know. And it's like, great, <laughs> you know, like. And then I look at, I know some people that sell essential oils or sell other MLM products, and it's like, I feel confused about my feelings towards them, basically, because it's like. I start to not trust them. I take them maybe less seriously. I wonder about their motives. I wonder if they're always going to try to enroll me. Like I feel uncomfortable around them socially now. Like there's a lot of issues there, and unfortunately, it's it's because of bad players. You know, I was actually technically in an MLM, Jason. That wasn't. I feel like I talked about this once before. It, it one of our friends, our mutual friends, Jason, enrolled me. And I just wanted to be part of it to try the products out. And I looked at it as an affiliate thing. I never looked at it as like me being like part of this whole like enrollment thing. I wasn't trying to enroll other people to sell their products. And what was cool is this company actually stopped being an MLM and they put out a new uh, email like, hey, we, we realize that people have bad associations with MLMs. So our company is no longer going to operate that way. This is how we've transitioned. And, you know, they completely made a change. But yeah, I actually even forgot about that until this very moment. I wanted to go back to to your experience, Jason, with MLMs or that one MLM that you were in. And like, what do you how do you feel now being out of it? Like, do you feel What emotions, I guess, do you feel from that experience?
1: Well, I want to say that the reason that I joined this particular MLM is that prior to joining this one, I had been attempted to be enrolled in a lot of different ones, most of them essential oils, to your point, Whitney but you know my regard was always like it doesn't really feel authentic to me the the products or the messaging you know i, I appreciate and i love using essential oils but it's not something i'm deeply passionate about I, it doesn't burn in my soul to spread the gospel about essential oils some people do i i honestly believe and i have several friends of ours people we know that i i believe they are deeply passionate about it to me the issue isn't passion the issue isn't the value system or the ethos or the mission of the brand aligning with the individual. So for me, I tried the products out. A friend of mine was enrolling me. I said, Hey, before I commit to anything, and this is always my MO, my modus operandi, I need to try out the products, eat them, use them, feel them, because I don't want to endorse something A, that I don't use, and B, something that I don't feel is really effective. You know, I'm not going to just endorse something to make money without actually using or enjoying it. So I use the products. I'm like, these are really good. They tasted good. I enjoyed using them. I said, okay, you know what? I've never done this before. I'm going to give it a go. But as I got deeper into the company, I realized that they, first of all, were not allowing me to market and inform people about the products the way that I wanted to. They're like, yeah, we really don't want you to mention it by name on social media. These are kind of like the guidelines. We need you to follow them. And you can't really talk about it this way. And I I don't mean FDA claims. Like, I I wasn't asking to say, you know, this product cures cancer or will take away your gallstones or anything like that. It wasn't about that kind of languaging. It's that they wanted you to market it their way. So, as a rebel, as someone who's naturally rebellious, I don't like being told what to do in general. And so if someone's like, you can't market it the way you want, you have to market it the way we want you to. That was my first red flag. The second red flag was how much smoke was being blown up my ass during the whole enrollment process. I was being wined and dined. I was being taken out to dinner. I was being told how great I am. What an amazing artist and content creator. And we're going to save the world. And we need your help to save the world because there are so many people that are sick and dying. And, oh my God, what if you had the opportunity to save your loved ones who are sick? Can you imagine being able to save them? Right? All the things we were talking about. Save the world. Save your family. Make a shit ton of money. So-and-so just bought a brand new house on Kauai. This person just bought a brand new house in Malibu. This person bought bought a Ferrari. And let's all make a shit ton of money while we save the world. That was the pitch. Who wouldn't want that? Why You wouldn't? Of course you want that, J-Row. Wouldn't you want to be a millionaire saving the world? Of course you would. So I said, yeah. But now if I look back and I look at the amount of control and emotional manipulation, it's like, well, why did I join? Well, I was really desperate at that time. You know, if I look back, that really is what it was. I had had a couple contracts and projects that just evaporated. I didn't know where my income was going to come from. I felt scared and I felt desperate. Now, is that the case with every single person that is enrolled by one of these things? I don't think so. Is the case with probably a large percentage? I am sure that it is. Save the world. Rescue your family, spread the mission of animal welfare, organic food, blah, 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 make a shit ton of money. But when I got into it and I got into the belly of the beast, Whitney, it was like. Every single day, you need to be enrolling people, enroll your friends, enroll your family, even like your high school friends you haven't spoke to in 20 years. Oh, look, so-and-so is overweight and looks like their family's obese. Why don't you send a message? You know, they would tell me things like this. Like, I haven't spoke to that person in 20 years. You want me to send them an email and be like, oh, yeah, I see that you're obese. Would you like to try my products? Like, what the fuck? And it was this kind of stuff that they would encourage me to do. And so in a very short period of time, after about probably like six to nine months, Whitney, I was like, this is not, I don't know. Like, and then it was that whole thing. The man, oh, are you willing to do whatever it takes? Well, I guess if you are hesitating to, you know, call your former high school friend and talk to them about their obesity, Jason, you're not willing to do what it takes. Like that, my experience was, has turned me off of that entire industry forever. And I mean, I rarely say that, but I mean- Forever. Because when I went to the conferences and I saw how they were operating, it was the same thing. Save the world, make a ton of money, deep community. Yeah, brother. Yeah, sister. We love you. Love, 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 love. I'm like, you don't know who the fuck I am. You love me. I'm your brother. You don't fucking know me. So I'm being blunt here because I see through the horse shit and I see through the manipulation. And I think like there's big parts of this industry, Whitney, I just wish would burn to the fucking ground. Just burn it to the ground.
0: And I think it it triggers a lot of that. It triggers all of this awareness around greed and how many of us desire status. We want to be in a different class. We want to do what we love. We want freedom. I mean, it's basically tapping into so much of that desire And that's often why we get involved with this. And I think it's, it's, um, we have to really examine our motives behind it, you know? And first of all, recognize that these tendencies are things that all of us can relate to, I believe. That's why I hesitate to call people e- evil is because i can see myself in them i could see wow sounds pretty awesome to make that much money wow it sounds pretty awesome to you know the we work one in particular was really fascinating because like i mean a lot of the descriptions of what this guy wanted are things that i've wanted and things that many people i know want to be famous, to have celebrity status, to have access to things, to be powerful, to, to run a community, to make the world a better place, like all of this messaging on and on. And, and so deep down, I have so much compassion for all these individuals who fell into these traps and either became victims or became the person, the mastermind, basically, you know, I get it. I I I think that our society has rewards, social status, money and power. Like I mean, they're all com- they're all connected. And we have such a huge draw many of us to be famous. And I examine social media influence every single day. I reflect more on it and my role on it and marketing and and that's the thing too is I've had to step away because I don't feel good marketing products to people unless I deeply resonate with them. And how can I deeply resonate with something if every single day I've got a new product I'm talking about and promoting? And for what reason? Most of the rewards, the payment, the impact of the work that I've done on social media has been so minuscule. But that's what I mean when we have our blinders on. Oftentimes in the social media world, we're just like, can't even stop and think we're moving so fast. We feel like we're... that's. I think ultimately, my big problem with hustle is it doesn't encourage us to stop and think about what we're doing and how it's impacting other people. So that's the big message here is it's not that we can't trust ourselves it's not that we can't trust other people it's that the hustle culture is causing so much of this to happen and it's it's self-perpetuating because people are just like we got to move a mile per minute we got to keep trying things we can't give up we got to you know it doesn't matter what what mistakes we make we just got to keep going and a lot of the mistakes are being made on human beings but just like so many awful things that happen people stop thinking about groups of people as hu- individuals they just think of them as one big mass and it's like oh that's just a casualty like i messed up there on this person but i'm just going to keep going on to the next thing and you know i'm not a big fan of cancel culture but i am a fan of accountability culture and i think that's that's something that more and more people are waking up to sometimes we're too quick to cancel someone. And sometimes we're too quick to forgive them. And people do need to be held accountable. And I really hope that more people can watch something like Generation Hustle and step back and say, where's my role in this? How am I doing this in one small way? Like Just like you and I are reevaluating our social media marketing, Jason, and our positioning with our courses and how how we coach. And we can be hard on ourselves for not making as much money as we want, but I would so much rather make less money, but do it in integrity than make a lot of money and be completely out of integrity. I'm not interested whatsoever in that anymore because I recognize that it doesn't feed my soul and it doesn't make the people around me feel good. Trust is so important. And if I only have a few people relatively that trust me, that know that my heart's in the right place, that's so much more valuable than having thousands of mi- or millions of people not even know why they're paying attention to me and not deeply trusting me.
1: Yeah. Amen. And hear, here to all of that. One of the phrases that comes up for me, with is a phrase that In the very early days of Facebook, it was a mantra that they literally, I believe the story that I heard was they, I think they either had it like as a sign in their offices in the early days. And the phrase was move fast and break things. But when people are regarded as things, now we're getting into a territory that is very concerning. Move fast and break things. Well, people get broken too when you move too fast you drive a car too fast, you get in an accident. Maybe you move too fast, as you said, and you get in. It's easy to get into a mentality where the ends justify the means. Well, I made all this money. Look how, well, what do you mean? People got hurt. What do you mean? Things got broken. Look at all this money we made. Look how, Oh, you're criticizing how I did it. Huh? Oh, you're a hater. You must be a hater. You're hating on my wealth. You're hating on my success. I mean think about this mentality. This is a very pervasive mentality that the ends justifies the means. Well, I got to my goal. I guess you didn't want to work hard enough. I guess you weren't willing to do whatever it takes. But if whatever it takes means steamrolling people and breaking people and destroying things to get what you want, we have a very we have a very sick twisted sociopathic mentality, I think. And I and I believe at the heart of a lot of the toxic capitalism Whitney is exactly this. I mean if we think about the fact that shareholder value and stock price in, for most corporations is held in a higher regard than this, the, the destruction to animal life, human life, and the environment. It's very easy to see that we are in the situation we're in on planet Earth. Well, the end justifies the means. Yeah, the world's burning, but look at our stock price. Man, we created so much shareholder value. Holy shit, John. Did you see that? man, that IPO was huge. It re- This is really a much more pervasive mentality. If we really blow it out, Whitney, this kind of mentality is a thread through in so many industries and so many businesses. It just, just get the goal, get the goal, get the goal. Who gives a shit how we get there? Just get the thing. But it leaves a path of a lot of pain and destruction in its wake. We're not anti capitalists, we're not anti business. We're pro ethics and we're pro self-awareness and pro mindfulness. That I don't I, I personally don't believe Whitney and, you know, I don't want to speak exactly for you, put words in your mouth, but I, I don't I don't think it has to be the paradigm that in order to be successful, we just annihilate everything in our path and do whatever it takes. I don't believe in that. You know, I I guess, you know, kind of in closing, I just I, I want to encourage us not only you and I as business owners, but the listener or the viewer to really examine why you're doing what you're doing and what is the ethos that is driving you to do what you do. You know, Have we substituted profit and power for genuinely caring for the welfare of others or the people in our path? And maybe that's it, kind of going back to it. Maybe people aren't intending on being malicious and destructive. Maybe they're just so hyper-focused, Whitney, on getting what they want that they're not even paying attention to the carnage that's around them because they're so, you know, like laser focused on the goal. All that alpha male shit that we're taught in business school. Just, you know, focus on your goal, laser focus. I just, I think that's part of the big reason why the world is the way that it is, is because people have forgotten to look around them and see the chaos they've created on their way to the goal. Are we doing product shout outs today? <laughs> that was an abrupt right angle transition in the podcast. Sure. <laughs> it's like, eat. Okay. And on another topic, <laughs> speaking of business, and by the way, this is not a pitch. What we're talking about. These are products that Whitney and I have paid for and we're genuinely just excited about. So we're not telling not you this to be like, go buy.
0: Sometimes we talk about products we got for free. We just are open when it's That's true. true. What are you going to shout out today? Is it something that you bought?
1: Well, it's something that I got for free and then I bought because I loved it so much. I don't have the bags here because Bella ate them all, but this was a brand that you and I, Whitney, got introduced to on Clubhouse, which is the company is called Botanical Bones. And Rachel is this incredibly sweet founder of this family business. They're based out of Asheville, North Carolina, botanicalbones.com. And these are superfood infused dog treats. That have like ashwagandha and Rishi and shaga and all kinds of amazing things. So basically, Bella ate these in record time and I need to reorder. So I'm a huge fan of Botanical Bones because they're made by hand. They're a family-run business. They're female-owned. They have high-vibe ingredients. So I'm, I'm a huge fan of... But in fact, I need to order more for Bella because she literally... It's to the point where I've given her Botanical Bones wit. And then I go back and give her her other treats, and she kind of looks at me like, what is this shit? Like, she'll give me, no, literally, she'll give me this look like, I don't want this bullshit. Like, where are my bones? So thanks to Rachel, and shout out to Rachel. You have now made my dog an addict to your products. Again, I don't have a bag with me, because, but this is their logo. Check out Botanical Bones and Rachel and her amazing superfood-infused dog treats, because they will probably ruin your dog's palate in the best way, as they have ruined mine.
0: That's quite a a testimonial. (laughs) Well, the product that I'm going to shout out, the first one that came to mind because I did not prepare for this since we just started doing our brand shout outs on the show in this week's earlier episode, we kind of paused. I don't even know why. Maybe we just got lazy. <laughs> but one problem that Jason and I don't have is is recommendations because we do purchase a lot. We receive a lot. We have a lot of experiences. In fact, one thing I don't think I've told you about, Jason, but but I started doing a few weeks ago is almost every single day I write a review of something online. And I started reflecting on how much it helps others to review something on Yelp on tripadvisor on goodreads for books on google in general you can like there's google has its own own review system through like google maps or whatever else their search some companies have their own private reviews on them and in fact we actually asked our students for reviews because we don't get them often enough and sometimes we ask you the podcast listener for reviews so, I re- leave reviews on other podcasts because I know what it's like. It makes a big difference. And I realized I was being a little bit lazy. <laughs> and I thought, you know what? I'm just going to pay it forward every day. I'm going to write, going to aim. I haven't been perfect, but most days I write a review on something that I've experienced. And it's felt really good, Jason. It's actually made me r- really good at writing reviews, too. And I've received just like a lot of thank yous on Yelp right now. The companies, the businesses will write me, but also other Yelp reviewers can give like a little thumbs up. And almost every single day I get a thumbs up. And I'm like, wow, this is so satisfying. I'm helping somebody. <laughs> so uh, the product I'm going to mention is actually one that I did receive for free. The company mailed it to me, but I feel very strongly about this brand because I've been using them for many years and have bought them as well. This brand is called My Shell. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see i should you know, I should say if you're listening to the podcast and you want to see watch on YouTube because if you're watching on YouTube, you can already see what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm holding up the My Shell product, one of them that I've been using lately. and by the way, before I get into the more details of this product, we haven't mentioned yet the show notes so if you're new to listening to our show and you haven't visited our website wellevator.com if you go to w e l l e v a t r.com we have notes on every single episode which means there's a whole transcript there are photos and quotes, If you tweetables if you want to share on Twitter. There are resource links to all the products. If we have discount codes or something, we'll put them in there. Uh, we, we just want to make it easy for you. And, and the podcast is listed as audio and video there. So podcast.wellevator.com is the official address. But you can also just go to wellevator.com, find the podcast section and the episode that you're interested in. And that's another way for you to share so, my shell recently sent me their their hydrate line which has been really great. I love their ingredients and I was very curious about this because it has I think it's pronounced hyaluronic acid, is that right, Jason? That's something that I heard people talking a lot about on on TikTok and it's just a very hydrating ingredient that helps get get the benefits of the body care products into your skin. And, you know, it's it can give a more like, you know, you're less dry. Basically, <laughs> that's, what, that's what happens when you're hydrated. And, you know, I've actually been working on not using terms, Jason, like a youthful appearance. Like, certainly that's how things like this are marketed. And one of the reasons that people use products like this. But I want to encourage you to take care of your skin because you feel better when it impacts you not because it's some vanity thing. Like I, I want to get away from a lot of this messaging around like things that make you look young, especially as a woman. I have an issue with that, so I don't use this to help me look younger. I use this because hydration is really important to me. So I'm very committed to drinking a lot of water every day. And I thought I would like to take really good care of my skin. And I am also examining why do I want to take such good care of my skin, Jason. <laughs> You know, like I've been really reflecting a lot recently. And speaking of why, I use my Shell's sunscreen. My favorite facial sunscreen is theirs. It's just really light and it goes on really nicely. I love the ingredients. But recently I was reflecting on like, why do women in particular get so obsessed with sunscreen? And oftentimes it's because they're they're terrified of getting wrinkles. So I don't want to encourage you to use products because of your fear. I want to encourage you to use products because they make you feel good. And Michelle's products make me feel good, which is why I really love this brand. And I'm proud to shout them out. One of the other things I think is cool is there, it's called a beauty mist spray, but it's really just a hydrating spray. And this is something I associate with you, Jason, (laughs) because I remember you were using this on the airplane to keep yourself hydrated while you were flying. So when you go back to traveling or just in general during the the hotter seasons, it's nice to have something like this that you can just quickly spray on you. As you can see me do on the YouTube channel. Feels nice and it smells really good too. I'm speaking of essential oils. The reason I love essential oils is just the scent of it makes me feel good and so When I put these products on, I just feel uplifted by the smell. So I'm gonna put some on right now so I can uplift myself a little bit more.
1: That was a great live demo. No, I I really think though, Whitney, like having having like (laughs) the live demos like you just did or like a mukbang in the middle of the episode, (laughs) it's just fun.
0: You really wanna do a mukbang. You keep bringing it up. Well, you brought it up twice this week. So I guess it's gotta happen.
1: I think it's got to happen. I think maybe you know, with a
0: burrito. We were talking about burritos on the last episode. I feel like by,
1: by the way, I did. I got after we were talking about burritos. I texted Whitney and I said the burrito gods must be listening, or maybe just the AI algorithms. I got a fifty percent off coupon for a burrito from Takaya. Did he order it? You're damn right, he did. And I enjoyed the hell out of that half-off burrito. Yes, so my burrito craving has been sated for a while, which is great. As an aside, Whitney, to go back to the middle of the episode before we depart, I wanted to make sure that I I looped back to this, the WeWork issue. You were talking about the female-oriented marketed space. Was it The Wing? It was the wing. Okay. That was the one you were talking. I was trying to remember like it was, but it was kind of like a, a brain worm. I'm like, I need to remember the name of that place too. I, you know, I, I think it's interesting because I remember I've been to, we work many, many, many times because I was kind of like semi being enrolled by other people in our industry, where it was like the it was like the cool thing to do. Like, no, like we're not going to meet at a coffee shop. Like, I just got a WeWork membership. Let's like, it was like a scene thing. Like, you had extra cred in the industry if you were working at one of these co-working spaces. It was like a badge of honor, which again falls into the same category of like, who are you hanging out with? Who are you doing deals with? Where are you working? I mean. Again, it kind of fed into that whole thing of you need to be in the right place with the right people, so you better get a membership here. I mean, I don't know if that was WeWork's intention, but I think whether or not it was, it mutated, in my experience, into that of you need to work here to have the cred and then tell people you were working here with me. And I'm glad that's over. I'm glad it's over because I much prefer working here with my cats and my bulldog, litter box smells and all way better than we work and the match is better here too by the way at the robel hotel uh that being said dear listener dear watcher dear patron how could we do this without shouting out our new patron we are on patreon we don't mention it i think enough as we probably would like to we have a patreon account and we just got a new patron this week Nazanin. shout out to you thank you for your listenership thank you for your support and for anyone else who really loves what we do, we get your DMs, we get your emails. Most of our patrons are only a few dollars a month, but through the magic of compounding, enough people throw in a dollar or two or three or five. And then we have the means to invest more in equipment, grow the podcast, do more things to bring this to more people. So if you have been listening for a while and you've got a few dollars a month to spare, oh no, he's enrolling, he's enrolling. He's enrolling. Not really enrolling, just asking. If you got a few bucks and you want to support us on Patreon, we would be most grateful. And thanks to Nazanin, our newest patron there. If you want to reach out to us, if you have thoughts on hustle culture, if you have thoughts on trust being weaponized. Uh, Any of the subjects we touched on today as a jump-off point from Generation Generation Hustle on HBO, you can always email us. Our direct email is hello at wellevator.com, which is also our website address, w-e-l-l-e-v-a-t-r.com. You will find our show notes, our transcripts, the links to everything we mentioned there, including the link to our Patreon account if you feel compelled to support us there. And then, of course, we will be back with another episode as we do the do every Monday, Wednesday and Friday featuring our special guests. And Whitney, thanks for bringing this up and introducing me to Generation Hustle because I I feel really excited to dive into the remaining eight episodes that I haven't seen yet. And we'll probably talk about this again, I imagine. I don't think this is the first episode on it. So yeah, looking forward.
0: It is the first episode on it. You mean, you don't think
1: (laughs) sorry, the only episode. That's what I thank you. Thank you. It's not probably not the only episode we're going to do on it because I'm sure there's going to be more juice to extract from that lemon. We adore you. We love you. Thanks for your listenership. Thanks for your support. Thanks for your tweets, your messages, your DMs, your Instagram shares, your homing pigeons, your baked goods, whatever you want to send us. We love it. Probably not the pigeons. We have enough animals, but definitely baked goods. Make sure they're gluten-free and vegan. Until next time, thanks for listening. Thanks for getting uncomfortable, and we'll be back soon.